Hi, I'm Steve, and I'm a sinner. Try that again. I've probably caught you off guard at home. Hi, I'm Steve, and I'm a sinner. Thanks. You know, I have to tell you something, kind of a true confession. At home, I have a nickname, and it's really a sarcastic nickname that they use. They call me Wonderful Steve. Now, before you fall off whatever you're sitting on in laughter, I want to understand it. When something's broken, when something needs to be fixed, when there's a problem and they hand it to me and I get it done, they say, oh, wonderful Steve. It came from somebody that once told my mother after I had done something, oh, isn't he wonderful? So it really became this sarcastic nickname. It's a joke. They know me. They know all of me in my house. They know that when I say those words, hi, I'm Steve, and I'm a sinner, they believe it. They understand it. You know, really in our series, isn't that a moment of honesty for us? A moment that we say what we are. We don't try to pull any punches No matter what we can do, no matter what we've been able to achieve, no matter what our success or what our talents or how good we come across to people, we're sinners. I can't fix that. I'm broken and I need a Savior. That's what this series is all about. This series is about following those 12 steps that we know so well that come to us from Alcoholics Anonymous, but our first and foremost steps that have to do with what we find in Scripture, that have to do with our being honest, honest about our relationships. And you know, the interesting thing in these 12 steps is that there are two directions that happen in in that, two directions of the relationships that we deal with. We could break those 12 steps into two things. It's our relationship with God, and it's our relationship with one another. I want to summarize in the next slide, kind of not going through each of those steps, but just what they are in our relationship with God, if you put that in your mindset. Those seven steps are this, that I need help. I'm not going to, it's not going to come from me. And that that help can only come from Jesus. That Jesus has to take control, not me. That Jesus has to take all of me, no hidden parts inside of me that I need to own my sin because I've broken God's heart, and that the power of Jesus' forgiveness can make me whole, and I need to ask and receive that forgiveness. Those first seven, seven steps really do have to do with that relationship that we have with God and what he does for us. And today, as we move forward, we go into step eight And step eight really changes that focus. It changes our focus to our relationship with others. Look at that step on the screen. Make a list of all persons that we had harmed and became willing to make amends to all of them. Made a list of all persons that we had harmed and became willing to make amends to all of them. You know, the interesting thing is you look in the scriptures, Jesus says that to us in many ways. Maybe he doesn't use those as exact words, but he talks about making amends, offering up, changing that relationship with others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, said Jesus, and love your neighbor 
as yourself. We pray this in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. You know, Jesus even told a parable about relationships and how they work. It was the parable called the unmerciful servant. It goes like this. A king, a landowner, was coming back to settle accounts, and one of his servants owed him 10,000 bags of gold. I mean, we can't even imagine that. That's a sum that no one could ever pay back. And the master found him and said to him, pay back all that you owe me, and he couldn't pay. He said, master, have mercy on me. I can't do it. And the master forgave him. But then that guy who was forgiven goes out into the world and finds somebody who owes him, and he only owes him a hundred silver coins. And he grabs him by the throat, and he begins to choke him. And he says, pay me, or I'll throw you in prison. And the guy says the same words, you know, have pity on me. I can't do it now. But the guy refused to have pity on him. He had him thrown in prison. When that master found out what that servant had done, he was so taken aback at that audacity of that guy. When he said, I forgave you this huge debt of 10,000 bags of gold, and you wouldn't even forgive a fellow servant a hundred silver coins? And the master was furious, and he said he had him thrown into prison and had him tortured until he was able to pay it back. And I say that not to focus on the, on the parable so much, but the sobering words that Jesus says after that, at the end. He says this, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you, unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. There's no grace there that Jesus is extending to us. He makes it clear. Relationships as followers of Jesus are all about making amends, all about forgiveness, all about giving and receiving. Let's look at that step eight again. We made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Persons we had harmed. You know, the problem with the disease, both of alcohol and sinfulness, is that we have this delusion in ourselves. We delude ourselves and say, I'm not hurting anyone. That we only think we are in control and whatever we're doing isn't causing any effect outside. It's true of all substance abuse and it's true of all sin. You see, the disease both of a substance abuse and of sin, it narrows our sense of responsibility to others so that we only focus in on ourselves. It's only us. We're all that matters. And what we do doesn't matter to anybody else. That is, of course, until something wakes us up. In the book, Step to a New Beginning, the authors talk about two men, George and Bob. They're both in recovery together. George is a Christian, and he's mentoring Bob, and Bob hasn't really gotten there yet. And they both work as skycaps at a busy airport. One day a man comes up and asks Bob if he can help him out. He's got a mother in a wheelchair. Would he do this? And Bob says, well, sure, of course, just give me a moment to get there. What happens is George notices the guy too, but he notices the guy has a $10 bill in his hand. And while Bob hasn't gotten there yet, George moves up right into place, takes the $10, helps the mother. 
well, it begins to play on George's conscience. He's supposed to be this Christian mentor to Bob. And he thinks about what he did. And finally, it happens that he goes and he confesses to Bob what he did. He said, you know, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have stepped in there to take that. And Bob, in good spirits, says, hey, man, it's a competitive business that we're in. It's okay. But George offered him the $10 and Bob waved it aside. It so gripped Bob in what he had done that later at their recovery meeting, he told the story to everybody out there of what he had done. And in turn, as they heard that story and his honesty of wanting to make amends, of owning what he had done, it began to play with them and they remembered people that they needed to go and to make amends with also. You know, I can tell you forgiveness is powerful when you offer it and you try to make amends to somebody. In my own life, in a personal story, many years ago, we were adding an addition on to our home. And I was in charge of doing all the electrical for the building. And so, as you know, when you do an addition, you have to get things inspected. Well, I was done and waiting for that electrical inspection to come. The builder was on my case. He wanted to get moving. He wanted to put drywall up and close up the walls. And I had called the township and asked them to come and said, you know, please give me a phone call before you do because I'm at work. I want to make sure I'm there. Somebody has to be there to let them in. I came home one day and there was the sticker, the red sticker on the window that the electrical inspector had been there and had gone. Nobody was there to let him in. Well, man, I called the township and I got a hold of the guy and I just read him the riot act. I said, I told you people that I wanted to call before somebody came so I could let you in so we could get this done. And I just screamed at him and hung up. Well, it began to play on my conscience. And I knew what I had done wasn't right. I have to tell you, it was really hard to do it. But I picked up the phone later that day. And I called the guy back, and I got him. And I said, I just want to apologize to you for what I did. I had no right to yell at you. I had no business saying the things that I said. I was out of line. And I hope you can forgive me. The guy on the other end of the phone was very gracious to me. He said, no, I I get it. I understand. There's a lot of stress in this. He says, I'll tell you what. If you can be there tomorrow, I'll come out. We'll get it inspected, and we'll get it done for you. I mean, like I said, there's power in making amends. There's power in forgiveness. And we see that today in the gospel that Pastor Mark read. The gospel about a wee little man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and we all can have a bad taste in our mouth when we hear about a tax collector. Mark Twain once said, what's the difference between a tax collector and a taxidermist? He said, the taxidermist only takes your skin. Zacchaeus not only was a tax collector, but Luke tells us that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. And you have to understand the way this worked in those days. Rome would kind of put out a bid for an area that someone would bid on to collect the taxes. It was a set amount. If you bid on it and it was awarded to you successfully, when you collected the taxes, you knew you had to get the amount to pay Rome, but you could collect whatever you wanted over and above that, and that was yours. 
Well, Zacchaeus not only was that, but being a chief tax collector means that he had a bunch of other people working for him. He had the market kind of cornered in this, and he was getting payoffs from these people, from these other people who were collecting. He was rich, but he was also hated. He worked for Rome. Rome, that pagan, defiling, Gentile Rome. And you know, Jesus is coming to Jericho and it says it's, he's passing through. He's not going to stay there. But of all the things he does when he comes, he comes and he stays and he says to Zacchaeus, I want to stay at your house today. And he ticks off then all the religious people in that town because they're saying, look, Jesus is going again to be at a sinner's house. And they're mumbling and they're grumbling about it. And I want you to think about something. In those days, when somebody gathered at somebody's house, that was pretty much the entertainment that took place in that town. Remember, you see that a lot in Scripture. When Jesus is at a dinner with somebody, there's lots of people around. They like to watch. It was what they did. So there's Jesus in his entourage and Zacchaeus and his friends, and they're sitting together and there's all these people of the town around. I want you to think about that. Zacchaeus is listening to Jesus, and he's hearing it. But all these people in the town are mad at Jesus because he's with Zacchaeus, and they're mad at Zacchaeus. But he begins to hear those words that Jesus is probably saying to him, as Jesus always does when he's with somebody, and it begins to affect him. And I want you to think of Zacchaeus then looking at that crowd around his house and outside, and maybe he sees a widow who's destitute because Zacchaeus is the guy who took everything she had. And maybe he looks at that crowd and he sees a couple of kids that are orphaned and have to beg now because he took their inheritance. Or maybe he sees a guy who used to have a business in the town and he doesn't anymore because Zacchaeus took it from him. And suddenly the delusion that I mentioned before, the delusion of Zacchaeus saying, I'm not hurting anybody, it's all okay, falls away, and the scope of responsibility weighs on him and it begins to widen. And suddenly he sees people that he has offended, that he has hurt, that he needs to make amends for. And this is what Luke records for us. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Step eight. Made a list of all persons who, had, who we had harmed and became willing to make amends to all of them. You know, restitution and forgiveness are powerful, powerful stuff. Maybe for you right now, being shut up in your home, in a confined space where you didn't expect to be there last week, it's causing some stress and it's causing some problems. You know, I heard on the news this week at the beginning of the week that the divorce rate in China because of the virus is going up because people are stuck in this proximity and they're beginning to realize the relationship isn't exactly what they want. But I want to challenge you where you're at. I want to challenge you if you find tensions are building, if things aren't working well, to think about step eight. To think about the fact that the scope of your reference and your responsibility isn't just you alone and that you've done things in life that have hurt others in your family, your relationships, whatever that is. 
and that there's power in making amends and power in restitution and power in forgiveness, and that we have the privilege to extend that to others. And I understand not everybody is willing to reconcile with us when we try to make amends. That's okay. Inasmuch as the Scriptures say it lies in you, be at peace with all people. You try to make amends. It's on them if they won't accept it. But not doing it, not trying to make amends, not trying to reconcile, not trying to come to forgiveness can destroy your life. Listen to what Jesus says at the end of this passage. And Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus didn't come for the wonderful. Jesus came for broken, sinful, lost sinners. He came for disillusioned, trapped sinners who were trapped in their existence and their sin and thinking that they're the only ones and that they're not hurting anyone. He came to wake us up from that sleep of self-centeredness that we live in. And first and foremost, he came to give to us first unconditional love and forgiveness freely. And that's why there's such a stern warning at the end of that parable that Jesus says, because he can't fathom that what he gives to us freely from himself, from the cross, from all he has done, we wouldn't extend freely to someone else. Zacchaeus got it. It moved him in huge ways. It freed him from his conscience and all he had done wrong so that he could go and make amends and make a new life and offer forgiveness to those around him as he had received it from Jesus. You pray with me. Jesus, how grateful we always are in our lives that you bring to us first and foremost before asking anything of us, your forgiveness, your love, your unconditional love that you shower us in every moment that we live. May your spirit work in our hearts, Lord. May our scope widen from that of seeing only ourselves and may the delusion that we have that we're not hurting anybody in our life fall away so that we can see those around us that we have hurt, that's so we can ask for forgiveness, so that we can make amends, so that our lives are free from those burdens that you took upon yourself on the cross, and that we can live in peace and harmony with those around us and with the world. Thank you. Thank you for that blessing. Thank you for that love. Thank you for that forgiveness. May we always be people to extend it from you through us to them. We ask this in your name. Amen.